Well, good morning. It's good to have uh, all of you that are here and uh, those of you who are uh, joining us online for uh, this series. And uh, this morning, the topic is uh, freedom, freedom in Christ or Christian freedom. And uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited to, to talk about this one because, um, you know, one of the things that Jesus did was he took this notion that people had of like uh, freedom in God or freedom in him. And he like turned this whole thing uh, upside down uh, in this. And, and I, I want us to look at this this morning. And in some ways, I think this could be the message that could be more challenging or deeper for uh, more of us than maybe some of the other uh, messages uh, in this. But to do this, I'm gonna dive straight into this uh, text that we're gonna look at where it's one of the most clear examples of Jesus turning this notion that people had of freedom upside down. It's found in a John chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter uh, 8. Uh, and we see an example uh, of this where he just turns it upside down. And what's happening in this text is there's a group of Jews and Jesus has been teaching and working with them. And there's a whole, there's a big group of them that have now become his followers. And what we're going to read here next is him addressing that group of this larger group that have become his followers uh, in this. So here's what it says. Look at verse 31, John chapter eight, verse 31. It says, uh, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are, uh, you are already my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, so in this moment, he does something and we'll see even how they react to this, where he turns this whole thing upside down. And I'm just wondering, and, and maybe the thing I want to ask uh, all of you all is to maybe wonder with me, even as I was studying and preparing for this, um, is, to, is, is for you to also wonder, if maybe we struggle in some similar ways as this early group of uh, Christ followers did and not always understanding uh, Christian freedom, maybe the way Jesus was originally pointing it out and, and that maybe our notion could be flipped upside down as uh, well on this. And to think about this, I wanna get at what I think we tend to think of Christian freedom as. And so I'm going to give you a, a, what I see in this, and then it won't make sense at first, but then we'll unpack it a little bit. But it's this. Um, we tend to think of freedom this way. Freedom is life lived within the cones, okay? Life lived within the cones. And you're going, what is life lived within the cones mean? Let, let me share a story with you. Um, so earlier this week, I was looking out my office window and outside I could uh, see uh, someone out in the parking lot and they were kind of driving around and then they stopped and someone got out and started putting out these cones uh, out in our parking lot, which happens all of the time. Right? Someone was learning how to drive. And whether it was a parent or uh, was like a professional instructor that was teaching uh, someone how to do this. In fact, probably many of you, um, if you're somewhat younger, you may have learned how to drive in our parking lot here. And the rest of you probably taught your kids or grandkids how to drive uh, in our parking lot. I fully believe that 75% of all people who live in Oral Valley um, learned how to drive in the Casas Church parking lot, right? It happens constantly uh, out here, setting up the cones. And I was watching this as this parent was out there uh, setting up these cones. And it reminded me of uh, when I was uh, 
preparing my kids to take their driver's test. And as we got closer and closer to time to take the driver's test, the thing that they dreaded, the thing that caused like, you know, anxiety in there and just some terror is that they knew at the end of the driving test, there would be this part where they would have to do what? Yes, the parallel part. Now I think it's a three-point turn, but it's whether it's a three-point turn or parallel parking for you, same thing. And as we got closer and closer, my kids were just like, oh man, it's just like this. And I explained to them, I said, you know, there's a Bartow method of parallel parking. This, here, here's the Bartow method, right? And I've got this whole thing where, you know, you pull up next to the car and you do all this stuff. And they would watch me. They're just like, dad, that's not helping at all. And just, and you know, and I went over this. So finally, and I ended up doing this with both my kids, uh, a day or two before they went to take their test, I literally drove, the, drove them down to DMV uh, after hours and went to the very place where they would have to do the parallel parking. And one of the times we went out there, uh, they had uh, all of these cones already set out uh, where they would have to do the parallel parking. And so an amazing thing happened is I pointed it out to them. They got to see the actual cones. And this is like, okay, like you're going to have to parallel. And it wasn't, it was a little, it wasn't quite this tight for uh, them. Um, but uh, something happened for them. They're like, okay, this could be hard. I might not make it. But that's what I've got to park in between. That's like, there was something about seeing the cones, like this is out, this is in, that helped them just like have a sense of I could do this, right? And we've all experienced this, um, like the same thing happens, but just in different ways, right? Uh, maybe uh, it was some huge project at work and uh, your supervisor came in and, and just started like saying, man, this big project just came in and we're gonna have to do all of this. And as they started talking about what this was, you just like, your mind just started swimming in all this and you just felt terrified. And just like, what if I, what if I can't do this? How much time do I have? What do I just, and you don't know what's inbounds, out of bounds. You don't know if you've got the resources. You don't like, it's just this. And it's like, I need some cones. I need some scope to what this is going to be because that, that feels like freedom. Right? Because because I, like I, I can operate in freedom is getting to operate with inside those cones. And if I don't know what the cones are, it gets difficult, right? Those cones just, they can be anything. Those cones can be anything that just gives you or me like a marker for what is in and what is out, what is right and what is wrong, right? And, and we, we, there's something about that that just, is comforting and it can begin to feel like uh, freedom uh, in this. And you've probably experienced this uh, yourself. Um, and it can be with simple things too, right? It can be maybe your spouse is all excited about renovating the house in some way or remodeling project. And they're just like, and all of a sudden you're going, I do, can we afford this? Can we do, am I going to be pulled into doing this? I just I need some scope, right? Are we tearing down the house and building a new one? Or are we just throwing some paint on the walls, right? What, what's, I, I need some cones uh, in this whole thing. Or maybe for you, um, you're a 15 or 16 year old and the cones are literally the cones that are out at DMV, right? That's, that's what it is for you. Um, maybe those cones for you uh, has to do with a really important decision that's coming up in your life. One of those decisions where, uh, the thing that you keep coming back to is like, what is God's will for my life in this? I feel like I'm getting ready to venture out in, in a life altering kind of decision. And I want to know 
What's God's will for my life? What, and, and if I had some cones that helped me understand like maybe a career path or, you know, I'm, I'm in a serious relationship and is this like, where's this going? God, what's your will? Is this the right person? Is this, right? Or maybe, maybe it's an area of struggle. It's a temptation. And as you're struggling with that thing, it's, it's like, you're like, God, I, I wanna know what is right and what is wrong. I, I don't wanna accidentally venture into some area of life that becomes sin or something that, like, that, that you want to be out of bounds for me. And I, and I need or I wanna know what those cones are in my life, right? And so oftentimes we tend to think of freedom has lived within the cones. Because we think as long as, the, as long as we have the cones, then I've got some freedom in all of this. And so here's my wondering question though. As I think about those cones and watching the people in our parking lot and thinking about my kids and thinking about the struggles I've had and maybe the struggles you've had, what I wonder is, is that really what Christian freedom is? Because these followers of Christ here in this text, I think that's kind of the notion they had of what freedom was. And Jesus flips the whole thing on them, right? So what's going on here in this? So I, I want to I look back at this passage and I want you to see what Jesus does in this uh, moment. Because as he lays out this idea of freedom that we just read, uh, look Look at how they respond, this group of believers. Look at verse 33, it says this. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free, right? Because in their minds, it's like, um, we're already free. And if you understand their background, they would have said, we have the cones that we need. And part of what's going on here that you need to understand is that um, as followers of Christ, they looked at their spiritual lives and they said, oh gosh, we understand that e even with the cones, there are moments that we go past the edge of the cone. Like, like we sin, we, we get it on our own. We, like, we, we, don't, we can't earn heaven. We can't earn eternity by living from the cones. But so we're saved by what you have done or what you're going to do, Jesus. Like they're trusting Jesus for that. But what they're wanting to do is mix in this idea, but then shouldn't we live by understanding how to navigate with these cones? And it, and it just, to them, it seemed like the perfect solution. We're gonna live, right, saved by grace in Jesus. But then understanding the cones that God would give us gives us freedom in how we live this life in there. And this notion that they would have had, it's not like they just had a couple of cones they had this whole system of cones that was uh, built in. So this goes back, and it's why they mention uh, all the way back to Abraham, because they want to mention even before uh, the Jews were put into slavery into Egypt. Um, and this would, would have gone back to then after Abraham. There was this time when Moses is actually leading them back into freedom out of Egypt. And they go into the wilderness, and a really interesting thing happens. God says uh, to the Jews, um, I want you to be a nation of priests. And what he means by this is there doesn't need to be any mediaries. I, I want to I relate directly with you relationally in this way. And here's how the people respond. Uh, no way, man. That sounds way too dangerous. Literally, that's what they said. 
It is too dangerous. We have no markers. What if we offend God? What, what if we do something that God doesn't want us to do? We, like, we want to stay back at a safe distance. There's, that's not freedom. That's just pure danger. Moses, you go up to the mountain. You talk with God and you get a set of nice cones and you bring the cones back and we'll live by the cones. That's literally kind of what they did. And so Moses does. And he comes back with what we know is the Ten Commandments. And it's kind of like the Ten Commandments become, right, this nice set of cones. It's like, okay, I got that there, right? And I got this right there. And all of a sudden now, right, we'll live by this. Only there's a problem with that. As, as they begin to experience it, right? They have the Ten Commandments, but there's all of these gaps. So as they try to live life out with, you know, within the cones that they have, it's like, okay, what do we do with this gap over here? And it's like, you know, uh, the Sabbath, right? Don't work on the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath. And so all of a sudden you're stuck with, okay, so like what constitutes work? Well, all of a sudden we need some commandments that help us understand that. And then there's some other commandments that like, it gets kind of weird when you go to live them out in real life. Have you ever noticed that? You come up with a nice clean rule and like, this is right, this is wrong. And then you try to apply it like gossip. When is it gossip? When is it not gossip? And then you're, and we're just like, well, we need another cone to figure that out. And by the time you get to the end of just the first five books of the Bible, you already have 613 commands in addition to the 10 commandments, right? Because you need that. But the problem is, even though you got some more cones, you still have these gaps, right? Like, okay, how do I deal with this situation? Like, even with the Sabbath still, like they were still trying to figure this all out. By the time you get to Jesus's day, there are thousands and thousands of commands and rules on top of those 613, which is on top of the 10 commandments. Like even with the Sabbath, one of the, one of the rules connected with the Sabbath had to do with spitting. And you're just like, spitting, that sounds like so weird. Well, and unless you're living real life out, right? So you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Well, all right, we get that. But here's why the spitting thing, right? You know, if you spit, and it hits a, a rock and it just splats. Well, you just splatted some spit on a rock, right? Then you're fine. But if you, if you spit and it hits like some loose dirt and it just kind of rolls up and churns up the dirt, technically what you did when you, when you spit there is you actually turned dirt. Turning dirt is technically plowing and plowing is farming and farming is work. And you like all of a sudden, Right, right. It's just like, we need a rule for that, right? And we can laugh at that one, right? But that wasn't so funny for them because like this was serious. And I bet you have some in your life that you're, like you have wrestled with and it's, it's serious. And so by the time you get to Jesus's day, there was this kind of layering of the rules and, and they, just this constant work to fill in these gaps. Like, okay, but is this right or is this wrong? And as we live this out, and what they found is every turn as they had the rules and they would go to live that out, it was never enough. It's never enough. And you have to add one more cone and one more cone. You know, we struggle with the same thing, right? As we navigate life with God, it's like we're trying to, what's right, what's wrong? 
and, and, and we constantly are trying to find like what that next cone is. And this is part of what Jesus is flipping upside down. Picture for a moment, like if we could do like a, 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 a ceiling shot, an aerial shot, and we actually put out 613 cones, and then we put out another couple thousand cones to represent all of those uh, other laws until I was just standing in a little bitty circle of cones up here and the whole platform was covered in cones. Would you look at that and go, oh, that's freedom? <laughs> Probably not, because it's never enough. And if it were enough, and, and you know what? There's a part of us that we all know this to be true. And here's why I know this to be true. Because if it were true, if the cones actually led to freedom, you would arrive at a place where you had cones every place you needed them and you would not be wrestling with right or wrong anymore. You would find the relief and be able to just, ah. but as it stands, when we go down the path of trying to live in the cones, you never ever reach the place where there's enough cones. You will forever be wrestling with the next question of, does there need to be a cone there? See, that's his point in this. So I want you to look at how Jesus replies. Look at verse 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And what Jesus does so brilliantly in this, in this one verse is he breaks out these two models, right? There's the cone model, and then there is this faith model. There, there is the model of the law, and there's the model of the son. And his point is, right, the model of the law is even those who do the best, who work the hardest, inevitably cross a line, right? And it's like, oh, I crossed the line. Now I need another cone right there, right? And then inevitably, like, it's, and what he's saying is this, you become a slave to it. It may feel like freedom in a moment, but it's really bondage because it's a life dedicated to making and keeping cones. That's what it becomes. And he says, don't mix that. Don't even mix a little of that with the model of the son because what you actually need is me, he is saying. Because when you have life in me, when you live by me, it's like you become a son or a daughter of God. That's the opposite of bondage. That has a kind of permanence to it. Even when we're navigating those difficult moments, you rest in this kind of peace of being a son or daughter of God. And then he goes on to make this powerful statement, right? And, and again, it's this idea, you don't mix these two. Don't use a little, because here's how we get pulled into this. It's like, okay, I'm gonna live, I, I want grace, but don't I need a little bit of law to kind of help keep me on the straight and narrow? And what he's saying is no. That becomes bondage. And then he says this, look at verse 36. He says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Wow. 
Let me read that again. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Friends, religious rules do not create spiritual freedom. That's what he's getting at. See, this is turning the religious world upside down. You know, uh, it's not very often that uh, in a message, uh, one of us would say, here's a verse to memorize. But you know, this would be a verse to memorize. Because you're going to be in moments, and I get this, right? In moments where, like, you just, you want to know, is this right or is this wrong? Like, in the sincerity of your faith, you're you're trying to navigate something in the best of ways. And sometimes we get pulled into this thing. Can I just add a little bit of law to this thing to just create some clarity? I'm in a conversation with someone. We're trying to figure out right and wrong, or I'm trying to, you know, navigate this this other thing. Maybe it's not a morality question. Maybe it's, you know, a will of God thing. And it just, if I just had a rule, it would just, and we get pulled into it. And maybe, Maybe if we could just hold in our heart and our mind just this one statement of Christ. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. That we could kind of anchor ourselves to that in a way that would maybe kind of create a different kind of freedom than trying to find freedom between the cones. And I want to pause here for just a second and and say something to those of you that I know maybe are in the room right now, maybe you're watching this online and you've not come to that point in your life where you've become a follower of Christ. Maybe you're, you're contemplating it, you're questioning it, maybe you're here just filled with curiosity about whatever. Can I just say to you, this verse has something to say to you as well, right? There's so much about religion. Uh, when we think about religion as an institution, that wants to mire you in works and things to earn a place with God or to, or to earn something where you would avoid God's wrath or something. What Christ brings is something wholly different. His heart is to set you free. That's what he's getting here. And if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, to put your hope, your faith in him, Can I say there is no better place to put your faith than in him? And I would encourage you. I mean, if you really have questions about that, if you want to understand that, find me, find someone else. Go to our prayer spot, find someone in there, maybe someone in the uh, Welcome Center after this service, contact the uh, church office. We would love to walk you through what it would mean for you to take that beautiful step of actually trusting your whole eternity and your life to Christ. Because if you're set free in him, you are free indeed in a way you cannot experience freedom any other way other than by him, okay? Now, so I'm gonna unpause it there for a second. And I wanna just take a moment that even in laying all this out, I also get there's this profound kind of struggle. We don't get to just say, okay, don't live by the cones, live in faith, and let's all move forward, right? Because there's this part that we're going to constantly struggle with this. And I, and I want to speak to that struggle for a little bit. And, and to speak to that struggle, I, w- I want to start first with this caveat. What I don't think Jesus is 
advocating for here or saying, and nor do I think the New Testament is arguing for, is that there should be no rules in life or community or society or families, right? Uh, we need rules for how we interact, how we do life together, right? Uh, at the simplest level, we need rules. Like, um, let's all agree we're gonna drive on the right-hand side of the road, right? Because if we don't, there's gonna be problems, right? That's a good place for rules. You can have rules in your family about dishes or how you're gonna do that, that's fine. There's a difference between rules that help us know how to operate and work together and rules that are trying to establish our spiritual righteousness. Rules that are there that are trying to state or determine, am I right with God? That is a completely different thing. And what Jesus is talking about here is trying to use rules or cones that let us know we are right with God. In those moments where we struggle, is this right or wrong? Like, like, like the morality of it, it just, that is where rules will let you down. And so how do we, like, how do we move forward? Well, there's two things that I think would be important to understand in this that actually pertain to the passage that I uh, preached on last week and never got to. And so um, I wanna flip over to this passage. And if you weren't here last week, make sure you go back and listen to last week, the week before, because more than I thought about it, it, it these, these messages are building on uh, one another. Um, but last week we were in Romans chapter five and flip back to Romans chapter five or forward to Romans chapter five. I want you to see um, uh, this one part where, where Paul, who wrote Romans, actually explains a little bit about why this doesn't work and what's going on here that I think would be worth understanding. So Romans chapter five, verse 20, he says this, uh, talking about the law, right? All of those, the 612 and the thousands on top of that. He says, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, lot there, but a couple of things that I wanna break out on this. And the first one is just to notice isn't it strange that he says, right, the law was added so that trespasses, so that sin would increase, right? That the, the net effect of adding all of those cones actually increased sin, right? And, and, and we just don't go to that place right away, but that's the truth. There's something that happens here, the, the, this thing. In the long-term, spiritual rule-keeping causes more sin, not less. In the short term, it dampens it. In the short term, you know, put a cone right in front of me. It's like, okay, I, I get it. But in the long term, it doesn't. And part of the reason for, for this, what he's getting at here, and I'm gonna illustrate it in just a second, is um, uh, the rule-keeping thing actually puts our focus on the wrong thing and takes our gaze off of the right thing in all of this. Uh, great. Great example of this, and I got, and I maybe shared this uh, some time ago. Um, when I was much younger, I had a motorcycle and uh, rode motorcycles a little bit, and I took a training class at uh, one time, and the instructor uh, set up some cones uh, in there and, and had us uh, do these maneuvers, and one of the things he said was, don't look at the cones, right? And I'm just like, well, you're setting up cones, and you don't want us to look at them, right? Seems a little strange. And what he explained was, he said, 
Um, when you're riding your motorcycle and you approach a hazard, maybe, you know, maybe there's a sharp turn and all of a sudden, you know, there's all this kind of sandy dirt on the inside of the turn. And you're like, man, if I hit that, it's like, and he's like, whatever you do, don't stare. Don't look at the sandy spot you need to miss. If there's a brick in the middle of the road, don't look at it. Cause he's like, cause you will be like a guided missile straight into the brick when you do that. Right. And it's just like, and it seemed like this totally counterintuitive thing. Um, but there's great, uh, and I can say I've learned that the hard way. There's truth to what he was saying. Uh, here recently, I was watching a video by an instructor out of Dallas who trains police officers uh, that ride motorcycles. So uh, he does all this high-speed uh, training and these slow maneuvers where you got to do all these hard maneuvers. And so I was watching, I was just curious. I was watching part of this uh, training thing, and he had what was, I forgot the exact name of it. It is this uh, high, uh, high turn, slow, uh, maneuver where he sets up literally six cones. And the idea is with these six cones that he sets up is he wants the, right. He wants the, the motorcycle to like, you know, wind real sharp around these cones as they go through it. And so he walks out the whole thing and talks about all these things you have to do. And then he says, so there's five principles that he trains all of these officers on five principles that they have to understand. He says the first one, he gets the second one, he goes, and the second one is, don't look at the cones. And I was like, ha ha, yeah, that's, I remember that. And he, then he says again, don't look at the cones. And then he pauses before he goes on to the others. And he says, let me show you why. And he has a video uh, that he shows, uh, that he does with this training thing. And he has this police officer. And again, this police officer is a really good motorcyclist, right? This is not a newbie. This guy has done this for years. He's good at it, but he's going through this, uh, these tight cones where he's got to turn through this thing. And so the police officer comes over and he's just like, boom, 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 boom. And just like, he knocks down five of the six cones in the video and, and he's so frustrated. And the guy comes in and he goes, don't look at the cones because if you look at the cones, you're going to hit whatever you're staring at. There's this simple but profound truth in this, right? And then he walks through this thing and teaches them how to actually look to the place you want to go. And then takes the same officers and walks them through this thing. And all of a sudden, like they're making it through the cones and never hitting the cones. Paul says, the law was put there. And when people had all those cones, guess what they did? They hit the cones. Sin increased in this. Now, this begs this other question though, right? That just, just like, okay, so if the goal is not to hit a great, big, shiny, bright, orange, pointy thing, right? Why put it out there, right? If the instructors... Second, you know, uh, rule or, or principle is don't look at the cone. Well, why put the cone out if you don't want anyone to look at it or hit it? Why, why put the law there in the first place, right? If you like ask the question. So if Paul says this, God, why did you give the law in the first place, right? If you knew it was going to increase sin. What I found really fascinating was in that, uh, uh, video with the motorcycle instructor, he explains why he puts out cones, makes them go through the exercise knowing that they're going to hit the cones. Because everything in us 
when we see that dangerous thing, when you struggle with that temptation, it's everything in you wants to look at it. But there's something really powerful when you go through the exercise of trying to live by the cones and as you stare at the cones, you hit the cones that you come to understand you need to lift your eyes to something other than the cones, something other than the law, see? Look at, look at what um, he says in this as he, as he walks through this. Look at the second half of verse uh, 20 here. He says this, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The power of grace and the power of Jesus Christ right? It has the power for life that we need. That is the thing to put our gaze on. What Jesus is getting at uh, when he's talking to those new uh, followers of his in John, what Paul is doing here in this is what he's saying is, is that in our relationship with Christ, the thing that we're, right? We don't fix our eyes on the cones. What do we fix our eyes on? Christ. That's the thing that Paul's trying to move us towards. And he's using the law as this example, the thing that we have all experienced. Even if you weren't raised Jewish, you've probably found yourself at moments saying, I need those cones. Give me some rules so that I know I'm right with God. But I bet you found some moments in trying to follow those rules that were moments of great shame. That in that failure, like it brought you down. What he's saying is, it's not to rub us in the shame of it. It's to show us that our hope isn't in the cones. Our hope is in Christ. Now, I also understand this too, right? Because what I'm saying is, it's kind of like saying, okay, so Glenn, you're saying, okay, we don't need that cone. We don't need that cone, right? Let's just, you know, let's just put those away over there, right? And we don't need these over here. Let's just get rid of right? All those religious laws, right? And now, there we go. Here it is. And some of you, you look at this and you go, Glenn, that's scary. For some of you, you look at this and you just say, but I want to know what to do. I sincerely want to live right with God. And I, I want to know what to do. And it feels like what you're saying is, I don't get to know what to do. For some of you, you look at that and you say, you know, the reason I chase after some of those cones now, Glenn, the reason I, because I lived this before and it was a disaster. And I'd rather live chasing after making and keeping cones, then go back to that other thing that was such a disaster with no rule, just like this kind of weird freedom that felt like license to just sin. And I know for others of you, like there's a moment here where you just feel like, Glenn, it just feels like you're saying uh, doing the right thing just doesn't matter. Just be happy with Jesus and just doing the right thing doesn't matter. And here's what I would say to that. I'd say if if that's the equation, if, if one 
If one thing was taken out of that equation, I would agree with you. I'd be totally true. If one thing was taken out of that equation, this would be a disaster. And that's Jesus. If you take Jesus out of the equation, then yes, this is a disaster. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. That is not the kind of freedom that Jesus was pulling those new followers of his into. It is anything but that, right? This, this is about how do we live in a way that is actually exercising a kind of faith relationally that's looking towards Christ in, the, in a faith-grace relationship that, that actually is shaping all of that. And we all understand the importance of this. We all understand where, where the cones don't help and, and the thing that we're really after. We've experienced this in relationships. You've experienced this in marriage if, if you're married, right? There's, you get married and there's all of these different conflicts and all of these different points of contention and figuring things out. And you can come up with rules for all of those things. And sometimes we come up with rules for those things. But can you imagine going years and years and you come up with all of the rules, all of the things that would satisfy every point of contention, every point of disagreement, every way of how to interact here or there. And you could, you could go years and years and years into a marriage and have a sea of different rules for how to handle every different situation in your marriage. And it would be no marriage at all. Because at the end of the day, marriage is about a relationship. It is about knowing the other person. It is about adoring them. It is about being their helpmate. It is about understanding how to set appropriate boundaries. It is about knowing, it is this interaction that is like a, a relational dance that goes on and on and on. A marriage takes faith and it takes growing more and more of knowing the other person. It's true with your kids. It's true, right? It's, it's true with your closest friendships. They're, the rules don't get you where you want to go. And if you take Christ out of it, it will be a disaster. Here's what I am asking. And this goes to the heart of this church. And it is what we're asking. It's what we ask weekend and week out um, in all of our messages in one way or another. I am asking us to stop taking Christ out of the equation. You can't have a spiritual life without him. And that's the thing that cannot ever be removed. And there's this thing that the New Testament keeps revealing, that as we try to mix in a little bit of law, we push Christ out. And I know it's never our intent, but that's what happens in this. And so the place I want to compel us to go is always looking to give up the cone and to put our gaze on the place we want to go, the place we want to land. And that is in this relational space with Christ. And you see this over and over in the, in the New Testament. It dominates the New Testament, right? Any of these places where there's a struggle with temptation or direction or whatever, it's filled with Jesus constantly saying these words, follow me follow me. It's never about the laws or the rules. It's follow me. The New Testament writers beyond Jesus, it is always about walk with Christ, walk in the spirit, seek out the spirit, seek out God who is in you. It is all of this rich language that is so relational and so bathed in trust and faith. 
It is a little scary. But man, is that a different kind of freedom, friends, right? You don't need to know the cones better. You need to know Jesus better. Don't mix the two, right? So I wanna take just a few moments here and walk through some practicality of this because laid all of this out and I just know this is like one of those subjects where you're like, okay, okay, man, I get this, I, I want that. But now, like, how do I applicate this? And so uh, can I just, I wanna just walk through three ways to applicate this and I know this will fall far short of, of a, a more robust way of walking this out, but I wanna leave you with three ways to just applicate out this different way of walking this faith out that Jesus talks about in this passage and what Paul walks out in this. So three things. First one is this. When it comes to the Bible, read the Bible as one who is free. And here's what I mean by that. Approach reading and studying the Bible not looking at every page for where the cone is, right? We can get into this pattern where all of a sudden we pick up the Bible and every page that we turn, every verse we look at, it's like, okay, what's the rule? Is there a rule there? Is there a rule? Am I supposed to? Like, and what we miss in those moments is, is this magnificently ex- inspired work that is meant to point us towards Christ. Read scripture as a way of knowing Jesus better. Read scripture as a way of understanding how to step into that somewhat mysterious faith-oriented relationship. Let it be the thing that helps you um, with your relationship with God and with every other relationship because every other relationship has components of faith and mystery to them. But that is where the beauty of it is. Don't use your Bible as a rule book that actually just lets you circumvent trust in God in your journey in what you're doing. Read it to understand the God that you're in a relationship with. Second, second thing here is this. When it comes to temptation and sin, approach temptation as one who is free as a son or daughter of God, right? What Jesus, right, he lays out the two models and, and the model that he invites them into is, right, when, when you follow me, you become a son or daughter of God. And when you become a son or daughter of God, like that is, that is forever. You become free indeed in this. So here's what, here's what I mean by this, is that don't, appro- don't approach sin and temptation as if you were powerless. Too often I see Christians and, they, and there's some temptation that they struggle with and they approach it like, oh my gosh, like, like, it's not like, I, like I'm just powerless. If I don't have another cone in my life, I can't deal with this. It's just like, oh, it's just like, and it's just, we think of this thing as, as, if, as if we're powerless and, we, and we've just got to have all of these cones in our life or we're just, man, we're just, we'll just blow our whole lives. You have Jesus Christ living in your heart. I promise you, you are anything but powerless in this, right? You like, you are like, approach it differently. Be bold in it, right? You know, so many sins that we struggle with, so many temptations we struggle with, start with a legitimate desire. They really do. They start with a legitimate desire for a sense of security or belonging or hope or something. It's just, it becomes sin when we take a legitimate desire and meet the desire in an illegitimate way. So 
The next time you're struggling over a sin, don't enter it like, like, like a slave who is powerless. Move forward. And like, maybe the way you pray about it is to say, God, help me understand what the legitimate desire is. Help me, what, what's going on inside of me that is really a beautiful thing and a good thing, but, it's just, but there's something unmet there. Help me understand that. And secondly, God, give me eyes to see and direct a way of living that fulfills that desire in a legitimate, healthy way. God, what would that look like? Pray for that. Don't, no, you're not helpless. You're powerful. Like, you can do this right? Because you're the sons and daughters of God. Third thing, third thing is this. When it comes to those major decisions in life, choose to act as one who is free to choose. This one, I think we actually struggle with more than the other two that I just mentioned. They're like, how do I read the Bible? And what about sin and temptation? This one is like those big decisions that are not, not a moral one. It, it is about that major direction. Like, is it time to move someplace else, right? What do I do with this friendship, a career uh, choice, or just something really, do I invest, you know, my money in this over here? Or do I invest my relational capacity in this friendship? Like, what, like, what do I do there? I think this one sometimes has us hung up more than any of the others, because here's what happens. We feel the gravity of it. We, we feel the investment of our lives in this thing and how it could have such a profound change on our lives. And it's like we pull back and we're like, okay, God, you tell me what to do. What is your will for my life? And then it's like, we hear nothing. And it's just like, okay, God, I need a few cones here, man. Like, help me out. Like, I, like, like, give me some parameters to work in in this. And it's just like, we don't hear anything back. And it's just like, and we want to pull back. But here's what I want you to understand. In those moments, if you've, been, if you've been seeking God, if you've been praying, if you've been going into this relationally with God and saying, God, what do you think on this? And God's like, mm, right? Guess what? Choose. You're, like, you're free to choose. And sometimes we forget that. Um, if, if you've raised kids, you probably understand this at a moment, right? You've probably, if you have, especially if you have adult kids, if you, right? Because there was a moment when your kids were younger and there was a moment when they asked, they're like, uh, dad, what, what would I do here? And like, there's some decision that they were terrified over, right? There was maybe they, they had, you know, they broke open their piggy bank and they were getting ready to buy, you know, a toy. And it's just like, do I get this toy or this toy? And it's just like, and it's just, and they're like looking to you, which toy do I, you know, I only have enough money to buy one of these two toys. Which one do I buy? And they look to you and they want you as the parent, help me make the best decision. And you were like, no, this is going to be really good for you to make this decision. Because as a parent, you know what we want? I want you to grow up and be an adult, right? I want you to be able to make these decisions about your life, right? Because you don't want to have your 35-year-old calling you up three times a day asking you, you know, what to eat for dinner, or, you know, what kind of car to buy or what, it just, like, it's like you want them to exercise a certain kind of freedom. And sometimes we pray and God says, here's where I want you to go. Go there. Don't bat an eye. You trust him. Sometimes we say, God, is that the right person? And God goes, could be. And we're like, no, 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 no. 
You are free. Trust the mind and the heart and the values that God has been instilling in you. You know, you raise your kids and you want to instill these values. And eventually at some point, you want them to be making their own choices because you, you have done your best as a parent to infuse the values and truths into them. And you want to see them live their own lives out of that. I think sometimes God looks at us and says, that's what I'm after in you. And in those moments, be bold because, and I want to close with these words. If you have been set free in the sun, or excuse me, if the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. I'm going to close this in prayer here. And as I do, let me just say, man, if you are new this morning, um, uh, reach out to us. Come and uh, meet us um, in the, the Welcome Center. If you've got questions about becoming a follower of Christ, find someone in our prayer spot over here. Um, find me over in the Welcome Center. I'm gonna go over there right after this service and would love to talk to you. Why don't you stand? And I'm gonna close this uh, in prayer here. Let me close this. <clears throat> Father, uh, we just thank you. Uh, even when we're a little frustrated with you about the freedom that you give us, but Father, we also pray that you would embolden us with uh, knowing your son, Jesus Christ, and feeling his presence in our heart and depending and leading on him to guide us forward as we seek to live as those that are free in your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Have a great morning.